0: are a tremendous danger they are all heads of a criminal organization danger danger democratic states uh, deterioration, the democratic equality before the law is something completely incompatible with the idea of one universal law applying to every person in exactly the same way. Everyone can become king. Everyone can become king. Everyone can become king, so to speak. The form of the difference between a higher public law that applies to public officials and a lower private law that applies to regular folks. Under democracy, everyone is equal insofar as entry into government is open to all on equal terms. If as a private person, I simply take your money out of your wallet, this is considered to be a criminal offense and I will be punished. If as a public official, I come to you do exactly the same thing, this falls under public law, is considered to be a legal activity. So to If there's a private law I take you and keep you up and force you to work for me day and night, this would be considered kidnapping, slavery and whatever, and is of course a great offense. If I do that as a public official, then it is called public service, military draft, and things like this is perfectly alright. Everyone can engage in theft and live off stolen loot if only he becomes a public official. Hey.
1: It's Jose Gelisan. You're watching No Way Jose. You can find me on the No Way Jose YouTube channel, all the major audio podcatchers and Odyssey as well. Today, my guest is Toad. As you guys can tell by the intro, we're back on that hoppa shit. We're doing it today. Uh, I've been uh, you know, doing a lot of OKC stuff recently. So, I mean, if you're new to this channel, you might be like, what the hell is this? Some part 13 nonsense. Well. I don't know, go back and watch the beginning or pop in wherever. I mean, we are starting a new chapter, so you might not be the worst place to jump off. Uh, you know, I don't know the, the way that Hopper writes this book, it, it, it you, you kind of can read them separately, although some of the stuff builds upon it, itself. But I'd suggest starting at the beginning. But, you know, do, do whatever you want or don't watch it, whatever. But, you know, this show covers more than just conspiracies and more than just... Uh, more than just uh, OKC stuff, so you know here we are. Uh, if you don't like it, you know keep it moving. Uh, but I do want to let you guys know that intro you heard that was from a YouTube channel called Romero Synth. He said a while back it was cool if I put, use those. He's uh, just go check him out. He's got a lot of other cool synthwave stuff. Got some Kinsella synth, uh, some other Hoppa synths. So I've played pretty much all of them on this series, um, except for obviously the Kinsella one. But you know just the Hoppa ones I've been playing on here. But I do remind you guys how this works. Uh, if you are a if you are a uh, patron, you'll be have access to this when it's a live stream. If not, you'll get it roughly a week or so, or however, whenever I drop this. This one I'll probably drop three four days from you know when we're doing it right now. Uh, it really just depends on what's going on with the schedule for what drops. But you know you'll roughly you'll get it a decent amount early. Usually for most episodes, most of my stuff goes out early. Uh, not all of it. Sometimes, every once in a great while, some current events thing, I'll, I'll just do straight, straight from you know, like basically live, essentially, or immediately post it. Same thing with Four Pony Boys. The Four Pony Boys, those are always live. Uh, But I do want to let you guys know if you want to be a patron, it's Patreon.com/snowyhose2020. Lowest levels, two bucks, that get you the early access. Nice levels, twenty. There's other levels in between that give you different perks. Twenty is the sponsor level. Sponsors are Mikhail Thorpe of the Expat Money Show. I also have Jeremy who has an Etsy store at etsy.com slash shop slash Raising Liberty. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeremy Rhymes. Also, my co-host today, Toad. Uh, I won't go too much in that because he'll give his plugs in a second. And then also, I have Zach Overacker at Z-O-V-E-R-A-C-K on Twitter. You can follow him. Also, Mike Degalish, And then also, a new sponsor, Lindsay is her name. Uh, You can also follow her on TikTok at ThatHangryMama. Hangry with an H, not angry with an A. Uh, hangry. uh Go check out her work. She's been covering a lot of OKC stuff over in TikTok, which is cool. It's great. I been, was considering trying to get on TikTok a while ago, but I just I got in there for like a minute. I was like, this is utter cancer. So I'm glad she's doing it. Uh, so you know, someone's doing it because I, I just can't stay on TikTok. But you know, I, I've checked out some of them. She's got some good stuff. I highly suggest go checking out, share that stuff around. Whatever it is you do on TikTok. Uh, it's good stuff. But uh, do remind you guys go to toplops.com. Use Jose at checkout for 10% off. That's where you can get my merch. That's where you can get Tower Gang merch. You can get a bunch of other shows' merch. You also can get original uh, stuff that's not uh, show related stuff from Top Lops. He's got there. It's uh, just checking it out. With that, let's go ahead. Oh, it, uh, you know what? I also want to remind you guys I totally forgot about this. Uh, my article I wrote not too long ago about Kenneth Trandu is going to be getting published in Garrison Magazine. Uh, I'll just, you guys go check that out. I uh, mean, I'll probably drop in the video description whenever I drop this, uh, public, uh, the link to be able to get those. It's not out yet, but it should be here soon. He's, I think he's putting the finishing touches and all that stuff. So, uh, maybe by the time this episode drops, if not shortly after. Uh, so whatever the newest issue from when this was posted or the upcoming issue should be coming out soon. Uh, at least just check it out with that. Let's get towed in
2: here what's up bud yeah what's up what it do i don't right. even know what's going on anymore hans herman who
1: yeah hans herman who yeah it's been i think it's I was looking it's been like a couple months i just got a roll you know i was on a whirlwind uh on tim cast part of the problem it's just and then Man. the dig, deeper i did the more i dig deep the more like the you know, more i got embroiled in that the more other stuff i found like ooh, i want to cover that so you know and i'm trying to pull it back a little bit come back to my roots find a strike a balance some that uh, Ah, uh, here we are. We're getting back into it, into the live readings. I mean, we'll see how many people follow along for this. I got a, I got a decently new sized audience. I've gotten a good little boost since the last time we were on here.
2: We'll see how many people want to hear about Appa. We'll, we'll find out. So, uh, yeah. you
1: ready to get into it, bud?
2: Yeah, I just said I'm not coming back on until you get all the, the TimCast boosts and all those other boosts. Then I'll come back on.
1: <laughs> yeah. You want to go ahead and drop your plugs real quick here at the beginning? Uh, I know what I'm
2: supposed to do in the beginning. Uh, yeah but i'll have you do it now (laughs) tower gang toad on twitter i shit post and piss everybody off constantly uh and i co-host with you on uh the tower gang podcast which is tower gang pod everywhere that is me you uh cole aka fat dave clint from liberty lockdown uh top lobster of top lobster fame and Reed Coverdale, very occasionally, maybe never, I don't know, Uh, from Naturalist capitalists, All of us, we uh, do a really shit-posty show, and we're the most offensive show, more offensive than Legion of Skanks, so that's what we do over there.
1: Tomorrow night, Wednesday nights. I think I heard a rumor Reed will be showing up. If you're watching this when it comes out publicly you may or may not have already been on. So if you're a Reed stand. Oh yeah, that's right. I always forget.
2: Yeah. yeah, Like nobody's watching the live stream. So Wednesday nights, 9, 11 PM and tower gang pod everywhere. Patreon.com slash Tower gang pod. Check it out.
1: I usually get a few little uh, stragglers here and there, uh, from my patrons, but, uh, generally speaking, it's usually, yeah, the most people end up watching it later when it, uh, goes live but i do appreciate my patrons and you know if you're watching the live stream feel free to always yeah. pop in the chat uh the five dollar level if you're one of my five dollar level guys i'll always bring your stuff up i guess unless it's something ridiculous uh <laughs> generally speaking i'll just bring up anybody's usually unless it's like something it's not worth bringing up but i'll definitely bring it up if you're a five dollar above but uh I give you a little code for each episode, a little, little code to throw in the chat. And all, that way I can remember that you're one of the five or above. I also usually kind of just know and I'm familiar with my patrons, so I know who's who. But uh, with that, you ready to get into it, bud? We're on uh, Chapter 8 on Free Trade and Restricted Immigration. This one will yeah. probably be a short – this will either be a short episode or a really long episode. We'll see where we're at when we get halfway through. It's a weirdly sized chapter for the purposes of these live read, live readings. Yeah, uh, and I'm trying my best to like either do half a chapter or a whole chapter for each episode. Uh, that way just to kind of neatly yeah. break it up. So we'll see how this one goes. When we get halfway through, we'll see where we're at. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, you know, determine if we're gonna keep going at that point.
2: The way things have gone, I think, yeah, we're gonna split this one up, but yeah.
1: Yep. All right, let's get into it. Uh chapter eight on free trade and restricted immigration. It is frequently maintained that free trade is connected with free immigration, as is protectionism with restricted immigration. That is the claim is made that while it is not impossible that someone might combine protectionism with free immigration or free trade with restricted immigration, these positions are intellectually inconsistent and thus erroneous. Hence, insofar as people seek to avoid errors, they should be the exception rather than the rule. The facts, insofar as they have a bearing on the issue, appear to be consistent with this claim. As the last Republican presidential primaries indicated, for instance, most professed free traders are advocates of relatively free and non-discriminatory restriction policies. While most protectionists are proponents of highly restrictive and selective immigration policies, as always, people who don't follow yeah. along with these live streams will pop in at comments, eh, whatever. So if you have anything to po- uh, pop in, Toad, uh, let me know. That was, uh, was yeah, Go ahead.
2: Yeah, non-discriminatory yeah, immigration policies. I don't remember. So he wrote this book. Uh, yeah, like so we're talking about we're we talking about the 2000 presidential election there or maybe 96 i don't even know but i don't know how much it really matters
1: when it was i feel like that is kind of a typical doesn't. trend because it is typically yeah. the trend generally speaking of the right wingers the ones who tend to be you know free trade one like very strong free trade guys tend to typically be a little bit less hawkish on the immigration and vice versa the people who are uh, you know more all about uh, you know protectionism you know uh that kind of stuff, tariffs, stuff like that. Those are going to typically be your guys who are, you know, more of immigration hawks. That's kind of just that's the only point he's making here at the beginning. Uh, right. But he's tra- he's leading to the point which he's already indicated that that doesn't mean that they're one and the same. There, these are right. things that you can separate.
2: Right. He's saying that people uh, might conflate the two, but they are separate things. You can have some sort of restricted immigration while still having free trade, or you could say, well, you know, we're not going to allow certain people to actually live here, but we'll still trade with them or something to that effect. Yes.
1: Appearances to the contrary, notwithstanding, I will argue this thesis and its implicit claim are fundamentally wrong. In particular, I will demonstrate that free trade and restricted immigration are not only perfectly consistent, but even mutually reinforcing policies. That is, Uh, It is not the advocates of free trade and restricted immigration who are wrong, but rather the proponents of free trade and free immigration. In taking the intellectual guilt out of the free trade and restricted immigration position and putting it where it actually belongs, I hope to promote a change in current public opinion and facilitate substantial political realignments.
2: Right. So, I don't know if there's really much to say there, but he's saying that he's going to be taking a position of free trade, but not open immigration. And he's going to say that those are not inconsistent with each other. And he's going to be saying that, uh, people tend to guilt you if you don't take an open, uh, immigration stance, like basically people will call you a racist or, uh, mm. you know, whatever, whatever the other terms are, uh, that you don't like foreigners essentially you're xenophobic. Uh, so he's going to try to remove that stigma it's the same
1: idea that he's kind of getting at, is the idea of like, oh, you're a libertarian? Oh, well, why are you not okay with these what-are-libertine positions? It's the same idea. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of like, for some reason, people have this jump from one point to the other where they go, oh, well, you think people should be allowed to be trannies if they're adults or whatever? Oh, well, that then I guess that means you should support trannies. It's the same idea. Uh, it's like yeah. one, one logically... One lo- uh, point does not logically mean the other. It's like, just because the fact that I think you should be legally allowed to do whatever drugs you want doesn't mean I th- I support, you know, I I uh, endorse people, you know, doing uh, meth regularly or something like that. You know, <laughs> it's the same exact idea, basically, is what he's kind of getting at. I mean, not the same exact, yeah. but kind of same concept, basically. Um, yeah.
2: I mean, I think because he kind of talked about it in the last chapter. I think he's going to be kind of talking again about um, how... In a system where you do have a government, how can you be closer to mimicking what an entirely privatized like anarchist society would look like? And he's going to say that that would mean some sort of like, like when, when you have that, you would have like private enforcement of borders in some way. So he's going to say that something closer, that would be some sort of uh, border restrictions and not none at all. Yes.
1: The central argument, advanced in favor of protectionism, is one of domestic job protection. How can American producers paying their workers $10 per hour possibly compete with Mexican producers paying one or less per hour? They cannot, and American jobs will be lost unless import tariffs are imposed to insulate American wages from Mexican competition. Free trade is only possible when countries that have equal wage rates and thus compete on a level playing field. As long as this is not the case... As with the U.S. and Mexico, the playing field must be made level by means of tariffs. As for the consequences of such a policy of domestic job production, Buchanan and his fellow protectionists claim that it will lead to domestic strength and prosperity. And in support of this claim, examples are cited of free trade countries that lost their once preeminent international economic position, such as 19th century England, and of protectionist countries which gained such preeminence, such as 19th century America. Now,
2: did you skip that like small paragraph at the bottom of one fifty one? Did
1: I? Oh, I did. I'm an idiot. Re mentioned, uh,
2: yeah, because he's talking about uh, Pat Buchanan here.
1: Oh, okay. Well, crap. Damn it. Um, yeah. Luckily, that's not the big deal. I'll read it real quick. Since the days Ricardo, the case for free trade has been logically unassailable. For the sake of argumentative thoroughness, it will be useful to summarize it briefly. The restatement will be in the form of a reductio ad absurdum of the protectionist thesis as proposed most recently. By Patrick Buchanan. Okay, I guess it does provide a slight bit of context to the last paragraph we just said. I'm kind of annoyed I did it out of order, but whatever. Uh, There's a small tangent part of me. It's like, okay, we're gonna do it all over again. But no, just kidding. Uh, You know, whatever. That's. uh, I mean, I think most people could kind of pick up that context somewhat that we were getting at. That he's clearly laying out the points of Buchanan and people with similar thoughts. So, but anyways.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I think he said it was a reductio ad absurdum. I I don't know. I think he probably could have taken to some more absurd place than he did but he's just essentially saying that um just the idea of protective tariffs or something like that because a certain country uh can produce a good more cheaply than some other one does is a stupid idea (laughs) because you you still want free trade and you want uh the ability to uh have your country people in your country to be able to uh, get those goods at a cheaper cost as well. So really you're just harming uh, the people.
1: Yep. Uh, Yep. Uh, I mean, I guess it was a reductio ad absurdum in the point that he was just bluntly laying out his points. I I don't know if he said it that way to mean that like if Buchanan was to lay out his points, it would be different. I think what Hoppe was trying to say is that like, if we're going to kind of follow it to its logical ends of the points he's laying out, this is what he's saying. So like, yeah, maybe he might argue this or that, but it's like, OK, but if, you, if I am to take your ideas and make them consistent, this is what you are saying. So you may fiddle around and be like, well, I don't think this specific thing or that. Specific. OK, well, sure. OK, whatever. That's your inconsistent thinking. But if we were to lay out your thinking in a consistent way, this is what you're saying. I think is kind of what he's meaning. Although, yes, I get what you mean. It's not a true reductio ad absurdum where he takes it to the nth yeah. degree. <laughs> so, <laughs> although I guess like a reductio absurdum doesn't necessarily mean you take the nth degree. You can take it, I guess, as far as you want to with it. So I guess that's uh I guess it's technically right. Uh, although I get what you mean that it's like you hear reductio absurdum and you expect it to get to an absurdum place, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. But. All right. this or any other alleged empirical proof of the protectionist thesis must be rejected out of hand as containing a post hoc ergo propter hoc fallacy. The inference drawn from historical data is no more convincing than if one were to conclude from the observation that rich people consume more than poor people that it must be consumption that makes a person rich. Indeed, protectionists such as Buchanan characteristically fail to understand what is actually involved in defending their thesis. Any argument in favor of international protectionism rather than free trade is simultaneously an argument in favor of inter-regional and inter- inter-local protectionism. All right, I guess in, he's kind of getting to reduct you at a certain point here. I guess, oh, here we go, yeah. So, Just as different wage rates exist between the United States and Mexico, Haiti, or China, for instance, such differences also exist between New York and Alabama or be, between Manhattan, the Bronx, yeah. and Harlem. Thus, if it were true that international protectionism could make an entire nation (laughs) prosperous and strong, it must also be true that inter-regional and inter-local protectionism Uh, could make regions and localities prosperous and strong. In fact, one may even go one step further. If the protectionist argument were right, it would amount to an indictment of all trade, independent, <laughs> of the thesis that everyone be the most prosperous and strongest if you never traded with anyone else and remained in self-sufficient isolation. Okay, there we go. Yeah, there. We go. That's the absurd position. He's right. That's if you fall to its logical position. That's what it is. Certainly, in this yeah. case, no one would ever lose his job, and unemployment due to unfair competition will be reduced to zero. Right. and thus deducing the ultimate implication of the protectionist argument, its complete absurdity is revealed. For such a full-employment society would not be prosperous and strong. It would be composed of people, despite working from dawn to dusk, would be condemned to poverty and destitution or death from starvation.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, he just laid out the ridiculous, uh, ridiculousness of the argument. And, yeah, essentially, like, we know that uh, – even like down to the individual level, people have different skills and whatever. So there are going to be different wage rates for different jobs, for different people doing different things, whatever the case may be in different locations. Or even doing the same things. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And like, there's no, yeah. Like you can't like centrally plan that you can't come down with like force and try to force some sort of even playing field across. Yeah. Everyone everywhere. Like that's just insane. Yes. And like you said, yeah. Trade would just, completely come to a halt you can't do that yep.
1: international protectionism while obviously less destructive than a policy of interpersonal inter-regional protectionism would have precisely the same effect and be a recipe for america's further economic decline to be sure some american jobs and industries would be saved but such savings would come at a price the standard of living and the real income of the american consumers of foreign products would be forcibly reduced the cost to all united states producers would who use the protected industry's products as their own input factors would be raised and they would be rendered less competitive internationally moreover what could foreigners do with the money they earn from their u.s imports they could either buy american goods or they could leave in the u.s and invest it and if their imports were stopped or reduced they would buy fewer american goods or invest smaller amounts hence as a result of saving a few inefficient american jobs a far few or a far greater number of efficient American jobs would be destroyed or never come into
2: existence yeah um yeah, I don't know if I have anything else to add to that really, but uh um... yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know he may laid it out. I don't really have much to add to it as
1: well he's kind of pointing out internationally. Yeah, I don't really – I don't have much out of the one. I feel like it stands alone on – it stands well alone. All right, on to you. You locked up. There's a lot of post notes on these pages, so you just get the one page and it's back to me.
2: Yeah, uh, apparently, yeah. Um, But, yeah, essentially, like, I mean, he's, again, just kind of reiterating that, like, yeah, protectionism is going to hurt – Uh, like, yeah, hurt the American consumer in this case, where if we're saying we're putting tariffs on uh, the goods that are, you know, cheaper goods that are made in Mexico, essentially – like, you know, you're basically forcing the people of America to buy those same goods made more expensively in America. So it's going to be more expensive for those consumers to do it. And you're also hurting the uh, producers in Mexico that are producing those things at a more uh, cheap costs. Uh, and, you know, kind of all you're doing is kind of help propping up the American business, basically. And you're kind of, you're artificially doing that because, well, if Mexico has that, you know, comparative advantage or whatever in producing whatever it might be, avocados or whatever the hell it is, uh, then uh, what am I? I don't even know where I'm going with. You're, that, you're, you're
1: disincentivizing goods traveling across borders. Essentially, is all yeah, you're doing. Well, so, right. You know, you, you're yeah. Right.
2: You're <laughs> yeah. You're definitely disincentivizing. Yeah, free trade. You, you might be, as he kind of pointed out in the previous chapter, you might even be like propping up like uh, some sort of like. I don't want to say racism, but you, you're kind of like making it so that the people of both countries aren't, uh, you know, interacting with each other as much. So they might just, uh, yeah, become kind of more isolated. And those uh, producers in America that are producing that thing at way more of a cost, um, like maybe they should be producing something else that they're better at producing here. Yes,
1: exactly. So you're, yeah. You're no, like, of,
2: yeah, you're shifting yeah, yeah the production to something that's uh, less efficient.
1: Yeah. Like if you, if, if, if Mexico is producing a widget that I use to make my thingamabob, uh, you know, and, and for some reason that's the cheapest place to get it. And there's another one that's three times as much in the United States. And now they just imposed a price that makes it three times, you know, makes it more expensive over Mexico for me to get it. Then it's like, now I have to go the other place where it's more expensive, which raises the prices of my products, which, you know, then that gets passed on to the consumer. Yeah. Uh, you know, then it, it, that, that, you know that that also negatively affects the people over in Mexico as well. They're trying to send it to you because they obviously they for some reason they're giving it to you now. They're so it it has this cascading effects that keep going.
2: But all right, on to you. Yeah, um, yeah. And a company that's producing things more expensively might wind up hiring fewer people. You know, whatever whatever it might be. Yeah, it's just less efficient for. A multitude of reasons, really. Uh, thus, it is nonsense to claim that England lost its former preeminence because of its free trade policies. It lost its position despite its free trade policy and because of the socialist policies, which took hold in England during the last third of the 19th century. Likewise, it is nonsense to claim that the rise of the United States to economic preeminence in the course of the 19th century was due to its protectionist policies. The United States attained this position despite its protectionism and because of its unrivaled internal laissez-faire policies. Indeed, America's current economic decline, which Buchanan would want to halt and reverse, is not the result of her alleged free trade policies, but of the circumstance that America, in the course of the 20th century, gradually adopted the same socialist policies that had ruined England earlier. Yep. I mean, there's not much to add to that
1: one, except for, not like you he said, he's pointing out that, uh, you know, a lot of people like to point out that United States at one point was, had quite a bit of protectionism and they go, Oh wow, look how great we were doing. It's like, well, we also had an extreme laissez-faire thing going on in yeah. the United States internally. So, you know, it's a try trying right. to think there's another art. There was something that was coming to mind. That I can't think of a similar, uh, and you know, uh, uh and it's not an analogy or metaphor, but, a uh, uh, similar thing that, that you would apply to this, you know, to illustrate this thing, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. There, are, there are other things where we do well, despite this thing. Oh, when, the, when people will say like, look at these taxes and they'll try to, uh, point to, Oh, look at this benefit or that benefit. You're like, no, we're doing well despite that, you know, like, like, yeah. or, or whatever, you know, I, I forget. There's something i will come to mind later and that point won't matter, but all right, yeah. on to but, part three. Yeah, yeah. I
2: mean, it's essentially, yeah. So he, he does talk a lot in this book, of course, about how, uh, this like rise in socialist policies kind of goes along with, uh, the rise in, uh, like more democratic forms of government in these Western governments as well. So he points out here that that was happening in England earlier than it was in the U S to some extent. And in the U S, um, we had like, of course, like the huge kind of boom in the U S like during like the industrial revolution. There was a lot of laissez faire going on in the U S and that's, uh, Kind of like the most success that the US was having was when they were the most free trade that they were. And then early, you know, 1900s, you get like the rise of uh, progressivism and, uh, you know, the regulatory capture and big business working with um, government and all the protectionism and stuff like that. And then that started, yeah, leading to this decline. All uh, right. Given the case for free trade, we'll now develop the case for immigration restrictions to be combined with free trade policies. More specifically, we'll build a successively stronger case for immigration restrictions from the initial weak claim that a free trade and immigration restrictions that free trade and immigration restrictions can be combined and do not exclude each other to the final strong claim that the principle underlying free trade actually requires such restrictions. From the outset, it must be emphasized that not even the most restrictive immigration policy or the most exclusive form of segregationism has anything to do with the rejection of free trade and the adoption of protectionism. From the fact that one does not want to associate with or live in a neighborhood of Germans, Haitians, Chinese, Koreans, Mexicans, Muslims, Hindus, Catholics, etc., it does not follow that one does not want to trade with them from a distance. Moreover, even if it were the case that one's real income would rise as a result of immigration, it does not follow that immigration must be considered good, for material wealth is not the only thing that matters. Rather, what constitutes welfare and wealth is subjective, and one might prefer lower material living standards and a greater distance from certain other people over higher material living standards and a smaller distance." It is precisely the absolute voluntariness of human association and separation, the absence of any form of forced integration, which makes peaceful relationships, free trade between racially, ethnically, linguistically, religiously, or culturally distinct people possible.
1: Yep, this one hits on a point. I feel like we've made multiple times to this series about the subjective Mm -hmm. nature of welfare, wealth, whatever. And I feel like this this came to mind. It makes me think of like the cosmopolitan libertarians, you know, the generic beltway. I feel like this is a point they miss. Yeah, the root, whatever. Like they seem to love things like cities because if you're just Mm -hmm. looking at it from a economic perspective, when I say economic, I mean it in the strictly money, like American dollars sense of it, whatever, like not in the subjective way of like uh, value, what I value, you know, I that, 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 that it would, if you're looking at just as numbers, you know, just, it just, dollar bills then living in a city makes the most sense living in a more populated area typically i mean it depends on the city but generally yeah. speaking there's going to be more economic uh you know opportunities there's gonna be you know you don't you're gonna a lot of cities you can just walk to the bodega get your food mm-hmm. there you know you can get tightly packed into an area it, it, it economically speaking you can make a case for cities and then people will make the reverse case against like rural areas but it's like right. okay but i want to live i want to live in a world like the, i that brings value to me being ha, giving my family distance from other people allowing all us have a space to thrive a yard uh you know mm-hmm. it, exactly. land
2: like that that is subjectively to me that means more you know yeah yeah you might get robbed on the way to the bodega but yeah that's like exactly what comes to mind here is he's saying that yeah, like wealth is subjective. And even though you might live in a city, which of course does also mean that you're going to have a higher, um, uh, like cost of living in a city, but yeah, you'll like the jobs are more plentiful. You're, you're going to be making more money, but that's not the only thing that matters. Like a city is probably not the best place to raise a family. And some people are going to consider that to be like the biggest like form of wealth like oh i want to have shit ch- you know i want to have children i want a family so you know the best place to do that is somewhere outside of the city like you said more rural area uh, less crime uh we have like a, a yard for the kids to play in things of that nature so like you know like i i would agree with that even though i do live <laughs> in a city environment basically like yeah i do think that like the greatest form of wealth is yeah having a family so yeah, yes, that's-
1: and, and you know the some, the cosmopolitans aren't necessarily wrong either. I mean, if they're trying to make the case that that like that's what you should do, then yes, they're wrong. But uh, and I feel like they are. Like I kind of was illustrating, they're kind of looking at it wrong. But in a sense, if that's what they subjectively value more, okay, more power to you. Whatever. I mean, I think right. You know that if that's if you prefer living in a city, if you prefer doing this, doing that. These are all, you know, these are all in, in this in Capistan in world, there would probably be areas where there would be more open immigration, where people prefer that sort of living, which, uh, let's be real, probably would likely have higher crime, uh, although maybe it would be more oh. populated, more, ha- you know, it would be something similar to the cities we have now. So, you know, I, I don't it's you know, what I mean, like, it, yeah, it, it's. Yeah, you, you, everyone gets my point. But all right, we're on to yeah. the next... All right, go ahead. Well,
2: you... yeah. Well, I was just going to say, like, yeah, he's also, uh, you know, he's kind of referring back to the previous chapter again, which was about how... Um, open immigration is, is the same thing as uh, forced integration. So he's kind of pointing that out again, where if you don't have yeah, any of those restrictions then you are essentially forced to yeah, live in the same areas, people, that maybe you don't want to be uh, living in the same area as some of those people. So maybe that um, has something to do with uh, what you consider to be like value of living in a certain area as well. And other than that, I guess, yeah, he's just starting to lay out the case as to why, um, Free or open immigration uh, and free trade uh, should not be conflated, and uh, you can have uh, a you can have an anti-open immigration stance and a pro-free trade stance, and those are not uh, in conflict with each other. And yeah, the, he's just laying out the first thing here, saying yeah that um, that those two are not related, essentially. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and like I was kind of getting, you can also have an open immigration and a uh, free trade one in your specific area. Like that's how you prefer it because like he's alluded to multiple times, what they're trying to get to is what we would see in a true free market or mm. in a true free in, in, in an anarcho world or whatever. And that's what kind of what I was saying. There would be areas where that would be the case. I think yeah. probably over time they wouldn't do as well. And even then they would probably have certain restrictions or whatever, different weird yeah. rules. But yeah.
2: Yeah, and right. trading training from a distance, like if you're thinking on like a global perspective, that's almost mm-hmm. like it's something that has to happen because you have certain yep. areas uh, where, that are the only areas where you can produce certain things that people are going to want all across the globe. So like trading from a distance isn't just because, well, I might not want to be like living with these certain groups, although that might be the case too, but it's just like something that you kind of need uh, to have true uh, free trade.
1: Yeah, and to some extent, I don't, I don't necessarily think Hoppe was saying this, but I do, do want to be clear that doesn't mean that there aren't people that some people wouldn't want to trade with people because of given oh, yeah. characteristics. For example, a right. good, good uh, example. This is the Dylan Mulvaney thing going on with Bud Light. Some people are making the decision not to buy Bud Light because yeah. of. You know, they don't like that they use a trans person to push their beer. That's typically for, let's be real, kind of frat boys and rednecks. Like, that's kind of what Bud Lights typically are for. So they're like, what the hell is going on here? So they don't want to buy. But now, generally speaking... Like the point being is he's saying these two aren't necessarily connected. Like they can Mm -hmm. be, or they can be that like you don't want to trade with someone because of whatever characteristic, but it doesn't. Right. Yes. Um,
2: Yeah. It's, it's actually hilarious because the Bud Light thing is almost like the inverse of the, the baker doesn't want to bake the gay wedding cake. It's like, well now I'm the consumer and I don't want to buy the trans beer. Yes. (laughs) All right. The relationship between trade and
1: migration is one of elastic substitutability rather than rigid exclu- exclusivity. The more or less you have of one, the less or more you need of the other. Uh, the po- I said that retarded. Uh, the more you have of one, the less you need of the other. In the, in, if you read the book, it's got more and then in parentheses less. The point that it's being is that like the inverse is also true is kind of what he's saying. So like you can say the more you have of one, the less you need of
2: the other, or you can say the less you have of one, the more you need of the others. Right. right. If you have no migration, then you would need more trade. Um, yep. Right. Because you need to get those goods from outside of where you are. So I think that's yeah. basically what he's saying. Other things being equal, businesses move
1: to low wage areas. And labor moves to high-wage areas, thus affecting a tendency towards the equalization of wage rates. All right, we're getting to some stuff. For the same kind of labor, as well as the optimal localization of capital. With political borders separating high from low-wage areas and with national uh, trade and immigration policies in effect, these normal tendencies of immigration and capital export are weakened with free trade and strengthened with protectionism. As long as Mexican products, the products of lo- a low wage area, can freely enter a high wage area such as the United States, the incentive for Mexican people to move to the United States is reduced. Yeah. In contrast, if Mexican products are prevented from entering the American product, the attraction for Mexican workers to move to the United States is increased. It's a key point. Mm. Similarly, when United States producers are free to buy from and sell to Mexican producers and consumers, Capital exports from the United States to Mexico will be reduced. However, when United States producers are preventing from doing so, the attraction of moving production from the United States to Mexico is increased. So it's pointing out (laughs) that you're shooting yourself in the foot with these policies, is what it's uh, so like if you're applying protectionism and you are someone who is anti-immigration. Uh, you are literally causing the opposite incentives of what you are intending to create, right? Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and
2: and you know, vice versa. You don't need to build a wall. You just need to trade more with Mexico, yeah. and then In yeah, the, like yeah, yeah. well, like he's saying, like if you have like an actual like open trade environment, uh, the um, I don't even know what the what the word I'm looking for is, but it's going to be like the like the uh, wage rates will tend, the tendency would be for the wage rates to like even out. Like uh, you can't like try to force them to do that. But if you had like complete free trade everywhere, that would uh, be like the tendency of the market, kind of like price, like it is a price, right? So you're going to have like the most competition possible for those jobs basically, right? So the wage rates would kind of tend to uh, hit some sort of equilibrium, yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah, and us causing... Yeah. And then I I did want to point out the point that they made is because a lot of people will bring up like protectionism to prevent because they'll be like, oh, this this company is moving to this other country. And it's like, oh, we need more protectionism uh, policies so we can protect American business. And it's like, okay but all you're doing is incentivizing them to leave. So you are creating less American businesses. So, yeah. Right. Similarly, simr- similarly as the foreign trade policy of the United States affects immigration, so does its domestic trade policy. Domestic free trade is what is typically referred to as laissez-faire capitalism. In other words, the national government follows a policy of non-interference with the, no- the voluntary transactions between domestic parties regarding their private property. The government's policy is one of helping to protect its citizens and their private property from domestic aggression, damage, or fraud, exactly as is the case of foreign trade and aggression. If the United States followed strict domestic free trade policies, immigration from low-wage regions such as Mexico would be reduced, while when it pursues social welfare policies, immigration from low-wage
2: areas is more attractive. Right. Um yeah, I, I might have to read that again, but yeah, like um if Essentially, we, yeah, like um I don't know if he's I mean, he I mean at the end there he's obviously saying that if you uh, have like a welfare system, you're going to be incentivizing more people to uh come here. So he is mentioning that. Um and like the other thing that came to mind, um just when you're reading that paragraph, the other thing I was thinking of uh like in the current day is that right now you have this uh, situation where it's like, you know, that some people refer to as anarcho tyranny where you have uh, like the police in cities, just like kind of allowing like theft at this point. So you could uh, view that as uh, the government impeding free trade because he's talking about, well, like the job of like the police, the protection agency is really to protect like you and your business Right. And they're just standing down from doing that. So that's totally interfering with free trade because now you have people like robbing the business owner. And that's also going to cause people to not want to go to that business because, you know, they're more scared to do so because there's more crime going on. Yeah, so that's uh, that, that. Those are my thoughts on that. Yeah, I think uh, that
1: last paragraph is leading into our next section, where we're going to explore this concept he's getting at. Yeah. Where if you know, the, basically the key sense being if the United States followed strict domestic free trade policies, that word's a little bit weird, strict, because it makes you think like restrictive, but know what it means is like laissez faire, essentially, like you can kind of mm. do what you want. Immigration from low wage regions such as Mexico would be reduced, uh, while when it pursues social welfare policies. Uh, immigration from low-wage areas is more attractive. And we'll get get to why uh, in a second. Uh, To uh, to the extent that a high-wage area such as the United States engages in unrestricted free trade internationally as well as domestically, the immigration pressure from low-wage countries will be kept low or reduced, and hence the question as to what to do about immigration will be less urgent. On the other hand, Insofar as the United States engages in protectionist policies against the products of low wage areas, products and in welfare policies at home, immigration pressure will be kept high or even raised. And the immigration question will assume great importance in public debate. Not really much to say about that. It's retreading the same stuff from the the last paragraph. Yeah. Obviously the world's major high wage, high wage regions, North America and Western Europe are presently in the latter position in which immigration has become an increasingly urgent public concern. In light of steadily mounting immigration pressure from the world's low-wage regions, three general strategies of dealing with immigration have been proposed. Unconditional free immigration, conditional free immigration, and restrictive immigration. While our main concern will be the latter two alternatives, a few observations regarding the unconditional free immigration position are appropriate, if only to illustrate the extent of its intellectual bankruptcy and irresponsibility.
2: Uh... Yes, yeah, we're getting into more of the, the stuff that uh, a lot of the um, I don't know, like progressive libertarians, if you want to call them that, uh, have issues with, um, uh, you know, kind of wrapping their head around uh, the position of being anti open immigration, and they continue to claim that open immigration is the libertarian policy because oh, it means no government interference. But you know, I think Hoppe does a good job smashing that argument in this uh, book, especially in this, uh, chapter and the previous chapter, I think as well. And I forget what else I was going to say one thing on that, but, um, oh yeah, we just hadn't really specifically pointed out what he's pointing out here, that if you have a higher wage rate, like in the U S than you have in Mexico, that is an incentive for people to immigrate to the U S because they'll make more money. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, is that what he's saying, or did I read yeah. that wrong? Oh, okay, all right. Well, that—that that, that is one thing that he's pointing out. Yeah, that if if you can make more money doing the same job in the U.S., that's going to incentivize people to come here, right? I guess. I mean, I,
1: that reads weird. The immigration pressure from low-wage countries will be kept low or reduced, and hence the yeah. question as to what to do about immigration will be less urgent. Uh, I think, I think it's just as simple
2: as like what I said, right? Like people want to make as much money as they can. And if you have, you know, government interference such that the same job pays way more in a particular country, people are going to want to be doing, if people do that job, they're going to want to be doing that job in that country and making more money. Right.
1: I I don't know if he's almost might be saying the opposite whatever. Well, I mean, I think he might, uh, allude to it more. That it's weird. He did drop it. But he didn't really make the point. Although maybe he did make the point earlier. I'm, I'm a little confused to be honest with you. I think that's what he's saying. High wage yeah.
2: rates attract more people to that country. Like that's, that's basically yeah. it. Yep. And, and the opposite, like lower wage rates are going to incentivize people to not want to be there and go somewhere else. And that's, that is why you have a lot of uh, immigration into the U S right. I mean, well, a lot of it is welfare obviously, but you yeah. also do have the higher wage rates as well.
1: Okay. All right. uh, On to you, Toad.
2: Yeah. Uh, According to proponents of unconditional free immigration, the United States qua high wage area would invariably benefit from free immigration. Hence it should enact a policy of open borders, regardless of present conditions, i.e. even if the United States were entangled in protectionism and domestic welfare, surely such a proposal must strike a reasonable person as fantastic. And he doesn't mean fantastic is good. He means fantasy land. Assume that the United States or better still Switzerland declared that there would no longer be any border controls that anyone who could pay the fare might enter the country. And as a resident would then be entitled to every normal domestic welfare provision. Is there any doubt about the disastrous outcome of such an experiment in the present world? the United States and even faster Switzerland already weakened by protectionism and welfare would be overrun by millions of third world immigrants. Yeah.
1: See, this is where I'm getting at. That's what he was getting at. The, cause the inverse he was getting at was if we had the social welfare policies, the immigration would be more attra- from low wage areas would be more attractive. Yeah. that's, uh, that's I, also I guess true, he's yeah. making the point that like low wage means kind of like shithole. Like, let's be real. Right. Like, so he's kind of saying like lower skill, uh, kind of people because like a higher wage, I feel like would probably indicate like higher skill typically or or, you know, typically people who reside in low wage areas may not be as uh, marketable in a high wage area, I think is kind of what he's getting at. And then the opposite, he's kind of comparing, and contrasting as opposed to like a laissez faire would be a social like a, a welfare type area. He called it social welfare p- uh, policies. Uh, Because he's comparing those two. So I think he was kind of saying somewhat the opposite, sort of. Although I think when he may be meaning just like immigration pressure, he just means like negative or positive immigration pressure because there's always going to be immigration. But maybe he's making the point that the immigration you're getting is stuff that no one's going to be really concerned about. Because if there's someone that's moving at that point, they're moving for economic opportunity and they're likely to be more beneficial. And maybe I'm reading into this more, but I'm pretty sure – uh, well, yeah.
2: uh, I get what you're saying that um, like, somebody that's paying a higher wage is going to want like a, a better worker to fill that role, I think is what you're saying. Yes. So I, I think the point
1: he's making is you're going to – the kind of immigration pressure that you – the kind of immigration you will receive from a low-wage area when you have a laissez-faire uh, – because you, know, you have a laissez-faire state that's likely going to cause wages to rise uh, somewhat. And so if you have a high-wage area that's a laissez-faire place, and then you have another place that's uh, low-wage that's kind of nearby, now the immigration pressure that's being caused, I feel like that would probably lower the immigration, I think is kind of the point he's getting at, because – I mean, yes, there will still be immigration, but it's not going to be this, like, you know, like a one of those, like, little bulbs for insects where it, like, sucks them in because of the welfare. Because he's comparing contrasting the two. Uh, if you're right, moving right, to right, that right. point, you're – yeah, I guess there's still an immigration pressure for people to come for those sort of economic opportunities. But I feel like the high-wage things are going to be typically more high-skill positions.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I so, think you are right about that. And, yeah, I, f- I feel
1: like he should have probably supported the point he made a little bit more there cuz you were sitting right. here You're, to you're right. It. Because
2: he was saying that the, uh, the the argument uh from the uh, the open borders uh proponents is actually uh well, I mean, I don't know if he's just saying that hey, we're going to get more immigration like because we have a higher wage rate, but I still think that it is the case that people want to find a higher paying job, so there well, is duh. that yeah, incentive. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. I, I think
1: the point being is if you're in a low wage area and, yeah. and there's another area, it's a high wage area. It's probably typically going to be for a reason for the people. So yeah, if yeah, that high more wage more area is skilled al- labor. Yes, yes. correct. So if, yes. yes. So, like, yes, you would obviously still have it, but I don't think you would have as much of a quantity of people uh, as opposed to because they're comparing and contrasting it to a social welfare place. Uh, you know, so. Yeah. Um, more of that type of setup. But all right, yeah, anyways, I, I just basically
2: on. took the whole thing as like him basically saying that government policy is uh artificially uh incentivizing more immigration than would be happening yes. otherwise. Yep. And that includes of course, you know, he mentions welfare again here, which is, you know, yep. uh, another obvious uh incentive there. All right. Um, yeah, welfare costs would quickly skyrocket and the strangled economy would disintegrate and collapse as the subsistence fund, the stock of capital accumulated in and inherited from the past fathers and forefathers was plundered. Civilization would vanish from the United States and Switzerland, just as it once did from Greece and Rome. So yeah, pretty, uh, powerful language there on that one. Um. Yeah, I mean, he's just kind of concluding that paragraph there and saying that if you do have um, like totally uh, uninterrupted uh, immigration, uh, like he's basically saying you're going to collapse the country. Yes. All right. Next page.
1: All right. Such unconditional free immigration must be regarded as a prescription for societal suicide. The typical position among free traders is the alternative of conditional free immigration. Uh, According to this view, the United States and Switzerland would have to first return to unrestricted free trade and abolish all tax-funded welfare programs. And only then could they open their borders to everyone who wanted to come. In the meantime, while the welfare state is still in place, immigration would be permitted, subject to the condition that immigrants are excluded from domestic welfare entitlements.
2: Yeah. So, so, uh, yeah. On the previous page, uh, yeah. So he's gonna lay out like the three different possibilities here. And that first one was uh, completely unrestricted immigration, and he was explaining why that will not work. And now he's moving on to conditional free immigration, which essentially is saying well, we will have open immigration on the condition that we get rid of like the welfare state first. And I believe he's going to say why he doesn't agree with that either. Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: While the error involved in this view is less obvious and the consequences less dramatic than those associated with the unconditional free immigration position, the view is nonetheless erroneous and harmful. To be sure, the immigration pressure on the United States and Switzerland would be reduced if this proposal were followed. But would not disappear. Indeed, with foreign and domestic free trade policies, wage rates within the United States and Switzerland might further increase relative to those at other uh, locations. Hence, the attraction of both countries might even increase. In any case, some immigration pressure would remain. So some form of immigration policy would have to exist. Do the principles underlying free trade imply this policy must be one of conditional free immigration? No, they do not. There is no analogy between free trade and free migration and restricted trade and restricted immigration. The phenomena of trade and immigration are different in one fundamental respect. And the meaning of free and restricted in conjunction with both terms is categorically different. People can move and migrate goods and services of themselves cannot put differently mm-hmm. while someone can migrate from one place to another without anyone else wanting to do so goods and services cannot be shipped from place to place unless both sender and receiver agree. Yeah, So he's kind of getting that pro- property rights type stuff. So if you, right. which I guess that leads into stuff we were talking about earlier, which if a uh, an individual is moving to an area that I guess you would call public property of some sort, mm-hmm. uh, well, public property is a thing that shouldn't exist. It's kind of a contradiction in terms. So now you have a thing that is coming to this place that no one wanted it to come to that for some reason it doesn't like it, it there is some sort of contradiction here where this area is being held by the government and it's like kind of essentially breaking the nap by its existence if that makes right. sense so right so
2: i think yeah uh, before that like earlier in that paragraph yeah he was uh, basically saying uh, you know he's talking about the conditional free immigration so now uh, we're talking about a system where we have abolished the welfare state apparently and he's saying that there will still be uh, certain incentives to immigrate uh, spe- you know, I think particularly like people might be like, Hey, this is like more of a like free country now. So let's, let's move here like that. It seems like more similar to a scenario, like earlier in the United States, like kind of the Ellis Island uh, type of scenario there were uh, like, I think you're still going to have that incentive for some people to come here, but you might be uh, incentivizing more skilled workers to come here rather than, um, you know, basically everyone and unskilled labor and that type of stuff, I think is kind of what he's getting at here. So Uh, because you've gotten rid of the welfare state. Now you are not incentivizing as many of those people who want to just come for that reason. And yeah, that last point that he made, I like a lot where he's uh, differentiating between immigration and free trade and why they're not the same. And that's because with immigration, somebody can move uh, like of their own volition of their own action. Even like if you have open immigration, you might have nobody else agreeing that that person uh, should do that and move here. Yes. Right. I mean, theoretically so both- that
1: public property is right. theoretically uh, essentially t- taken by by force and is essentially mm. the property of a conglomerate of individuals and now right. they there may not be any individual theoretically uh, in that group that wants that individual to be that move there to be there. So right. you're essentially violating their will. Although we're in this weird right. spot where it kind of throws things off, because well, what do you do if one person wants him to be right? You right. Know, that's that's the contradiction of the government and where it screws things up. And the right, but the yeah. the what tragedy of the commons
2: essentially exactly. But, but yeah, if you're yeah. just you know kind of simplifying it to just you know a, a scenario with two people involved, like somebody can move to some place even though that other person doesn't agree. If we're talking about yeah, like that public property scenario like that, but in the case of a good. Uh, for that good to exchange, uh, to be exchanged from one person to another, they both have to agree to it. So that is the difference between free trade and free immigration. Yep. Trivial as this distinction may appear, it has momentous consequences.
1: For free, in conjunction with trade, means trade by invitation of private households and firms only. And restricted trade does not mean protection of households and firms from uninvited goods or services, but invasion and abrogation the right of private households and firms to extend or deny invitations to their own property. In contrast, Mm -hmm. free in conjunction with immigration does not mean immigration by invitation of individual households and firms, but unwanted invasion or forced integration. And restricted immigration actually means, or at least can mean, the protection of private households and firms from unwanted invasion and forced integration. Hence, in, in advocating free trade and restricted immigration, one follows the same principle of requiring an invitation for people, for as for goods and services.
2: Right. Yeah. So I like all that too. So it's kind of yeah, like he kind of uh, lays out like both. Uh, different directions there. So essentially what we were just talking about earlier, where uh free uh, immigration. Uh, yeah. So like talking about like property rights uh, perspective, uh, you can have one person not agreeing that that other person is coming here. And then that person is actually uh, having their uh, rights uh, violated in that scenario. Whereas uh, with the case of free trade, uh, that is all voluntary and yeah, there's no NEP violation there. People are agreeing on both sides that that good is, is changing hands. And then here he's laying out uh, the opposite uh, of that, where if the government is coming in and they are going to restrict uh, free trade, that is certainly a violation because you're saying you cannot, you know, a cannot sell this product to B even though they're both like agreeing to that. So that is a violation, but in the case of restricting uh, immigration, they might not be uh, like, I mean, well, I guess it is an NAP violation in some cases, but uh, he's saying that. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the word like how to phrase this, but you kind of get what I'm getting at here. Where Yeah. Like, yeah. It's
1: essentially with with goods and services. Yeah. You don't have a tragedy of the common situation, which right. with with individuals moving to uh, localities with other individuals, you know, kind of traveling public roads, uh, all these, you know, Going to, you know, right. living in, you know, wealth, like living in areas with welfare or, or, or whatever, like essentially in any way, you know, operating in any sort of tr- public or commons type thing. Uh, mm.
2: But you don't have this issue with goods. So, well, yeah. Uh, it, yeah. It, it, like, it, like, may, like, if the government, uh, like, you know, implements some sort of restriction, it may not violate. The NAP in any way, if, you know, like, for example, like I know a lot of people like Tom Woods, Dave Smith, they like to kind of use like the public library example, that's government property. So it is the government kind of restricting somebody if they decide, hey, this like bum can't just come in here and, you know, like shoot up or like piss on the floor or something like that. Like we are allowed to kick that guy out. If they're doing that. So it's a situation like that. Yeah.
1: But, but even then the, 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 the funny thing about the tragedy of the commons, even with the pissing in the library situation, theoretically, you could say there might be one person who was stolen from that is like, you know what? I think bums should piss in libraries. (laughs) Yeah. Well, okay, well, now what do you do with this? Because it's like everyone's money is being taken. He was stolen from, and now his money is being used in a way, right. or his property is being used in a way he doesn't want to be used because if it was up to him, Blums would be pissing in the library. Yeah. So this is the whole per- The whole point we're getting at is how the government fucks things up. And it's almost like a, okay, well, reasonable people can say, let's be real. Most exactly. people being stolen from here or or could agree to this. But I right. obviously, ideally, this would be privately owned. Uh, And that way, if the owner decides or the shareholders decide, you know what? This is a a bum-pissing library. Okay. (laughs) I I think this is a really bad business model, but okay. (laughs) So, yes, it just kind of illustrates the whole point of the uh, tragedy of the commons. Privatize
2: all the bum-pissing libraries. So let's let's open a private one.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I'm trying to make the point because – I. I don't really necessarily like the way it's called. You're into reading. I don't necessarily like the way it's phrased by Hoppe because it does imply (laughs) that essentially, like, like you were getting at there, like with the bum pissing, that like (laughs) technically, technically, it's uh, it almost implies that it's completely in line with libertarian theory to be like no nope, most people cuz then you kind of almost in this weird way slide back to democracy but we're still there's yeah still yeah I was in- just about to say that yeah, yeah, yeah but we're but still this innate uh you know admission that we're like this still is like in a sense fucked but like let's be real we're trying to get the closest
2: approximation right right so, <laughs> yeah so this whole book is about like uh like what is the least anti-libertarian of the anti-libertarian solutions that's kind of this
1: entire book
2: like yes yeah if if we're
1: we're talking about anything about what to do with uh public goods you know or you know the the commons uh you're you're not never going to have a true libertarian position but we can have something that's like okay let's be real like this is what likely would be the case in a true free society that let's be real, we wouldn't accept bums pissing in our libraries. Yeah. <laughs> I would probably, uh, in a true free market, I don't think there would probably be any bum pissing libraries. I feel like it's pretty yeah. reasonable. <laughs> uh, yeah. And the ones that do exist would get read it out pretty quickly because no one wants to go to the bum pissing library. It just devolves into a hostel for bums. <laughs> that's that's right. all it is. All right. Well, I'm I'm hostile against bums. Yes. Uh, The free trade and free market proponent who adopts the conditional free immigration position is involved in intellectual inconsistency. Free trade and markets mean that private property owners may receive or send goods from and to other owners without government interference. Yes. The government stays inactive vis-a-vis the process of foreign and domestic trade because a paying recipient exists for every good or service sent. Hence, every locational change as the outcome of an agreement between sender and receiver must be deemed mutually beneficial. The government's sole function is that of maintaining the very training process by f- uh, protecting citizen and domestic property. However, with respect to the movement of people, the same government will have to do more to fulfill its protective function than merely permit events to take their own course. Because people, unlike products, possess a will and can migrate. Right. Accordingly, population movements, unlike product shipments, are not per se mutually beneficial events mm-hmm. because they are not always necessarily invariably the result of an agreement between a specific receiver and sender. There can be shipments, uh, immigrants, without willing domestic recipients. <laughs> I love how he's like, it, it feels yeah. so dehumanizing this chapter because you're referring, yeah. like he's like, Referring to people as almost like items.
2: <laughs> this is why this is why people don't like it. But well, he's 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 actually contrasting. Uh, yes, pe- yeah, people it, to it, yeah physical it, goods here. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah.
1: In this case, immigrants are foreign invaders, and immigration represents an act of invasion. Surely, a government's basic protective function would include the prevention of foreign invasions and the expulsion of foreign invaders. Mm-hmm. Just as surely then in order to do so and subject immigrants to do, to the same requirement as imports, a government cannot rightfully allow the kind of free immigration advocated by most free traders. Just imagine again the United States and Switzerland through their borders open to whoever wanted to come, provided only the immigrants be excluded from all welfare entitlements. Apart from uh, the sociological problem of thereby creating two distinct classes, domestic residents, and thus causing severe social tensions, there is little doubt of the outcome of this experiment in the, in the present world. The result will be less drastic and less immediate than under the scenario of unconditional free immigration, but would also amount to a massive foreign invasion and ultimately lead to the destruction of American and Swiss civilization. Even if no welfare handouts were available to immigrants, this does not mean that they would actually have to work, since even life on and off the public streets and parks in the United States and Switzerland is comfortable as compared to real life in many other areas of the world. Mm -hmm. Thus, in order to fulfill its primary function as a protector of its citizens and their domestic property, a high-wage area government cannot allow an an immigration policy of laissez-passer, but must engage in restrictive policies.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that first chunk of that paragraph, he was just like uh, reiterating what we're saying before. We're essentially like when you have the the exchange of a good, that good has been invited to come over here because the purchaser wants that good. So they're Mm -hmm. inviting it. But in the case of immigration, uh, that person may be coming over uninvited by anybody that lives in that territory so that's that was essentially the whole point there and then uh the last point that he was making there, uh, you know to wrap up the uh, chunk about conditional open immigration where the condition would be that there is no welfare anymore for the immigrants although I think he was saying that maybe there still would be uh like welfare uh, benefits for the people that live in that country already that are the citizens of that country not for the people that immigrate he's saying that there would still be, uh, immigrants here just because the quality of life is better and he said that they might actually come here and uh, they might still not work because living a homeless life here is actually still better than the life that they have in whatever third world country they're coming from so you might you're still actually incentivizing uh, like bums to come here basically and live on the streets so he's saying that it is um, that the government uh if they are taking the role of uh protecting the citizenry that they are in the right if they want to not allow that to happen yep well
1: all right that's the end of this one we're gonna finish this section up in the next one whenever we end up squeezing that one in uh but uh yeah uh you're gonna go and drop your plugs but i do want to point out uh I thought it was kind of funny. We actually, I got quite a few requests from people. It was almost like people were concerned since I went so long since doing another one of these that they were worried that we were, we stopped or something. I didn't like, oh, people I didn't wanted know. me
2: back. Up. Yeah. Surprisingly,
1: <laughs> I got quite a few people like, Hey, what's going on with these? I got a lot out of these. I'm like, what? Oh, well, the numbers weren't reflecting that. I mean, not that I was saying I was going to stop because the numbers but it's kind of like, I was surprised anyone complained. Uh, I mean, I knew there'd be some like, you know, theory nerds like us. that would be like, Oh, cool uh you know but uh yeah there were surprisingly some people so uh yeah we're we're i mean i would do want to let people know when it comes to series on this channel like very rarely do i ever be like am i i don't think there's any series that i'm done that i'm still like not finished that i'm ever like you know what i give up i'm done like it's, no no it's like, gotta finish yeah. it we still no, haven't like, gotten to the best stuff yet yeah. in this book so but like yeah i know like my point being is like I know I haven't done an Anarchist Handbook episode in forever, but I'm sure I will again at some point. I have multiple series going on at once. It's just a matter of just like get around to it when I get around to it, when it, when when inspiration strikes, when I feel like it, when I find a good guest, whatever number of factors is going on. Uh, you know, so, uh, you yeah, know, just anything I'm doing series-wise, just you can go ahead and bet your butt that I'm probably uh, – I will get around to it eventually, or I intend to at least. It may be six months before I do another one. Uh, but you know, or whatever, you know, whatever given series it is. Like I still have, mm-hmm. I have the JFK series that I, I still got to continue. I have, I have all sorts of stuff, but I do intend to get around to them. Uh, I'm glad there are people actually interested in this one. Cause this is the longest running live reading series, I think so far. And yeah, I still have a good deal more to go. So
2: Yeah. And it's, it's a really good book. Uh, it's one yes. of my favorite books. and I think it's a book that everybody uh, should read. I think there is a severe lack of uh, people having read it and actually uh, comprehended it in the Liberty space. So I think that's good. And we're not just, you know, theory, uh, nerding out here on this one. I think we're a lot of times we're like applying what he's saying in here to what's going on in like current, uh, America and current events and stuff like that. And we're making some jokes. So, yeah. And I think, uh, I think
1: hopefully people enjoy the little bit of commentary that we get here too. Cause I know some of this stuff is a little bit heady,
2: like even me reading through it, I have to. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes stop I'm like, think, wait, wait, what is he saying again? A lot of times, yeah. like you know, like with that one part where he's he's like, you know, kind of like making an argument that somebody else would make, and I think he's saying one thing, but he's actually like saying something else. Yeah. Yeah. Got to so, reread some
1: of that. Yeah. The point being is, I I think it might be helpful for other people to have someone else, kind of like other retards like us, that are kind of like working through it, so they can kind of also work through it alongside us. But uh, uh yeah. all right. Anyways, but let's uh go ahead and drop plugs, guy. Here, appreciate having you on again. I'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow on a tower gang yeah. uh you know, you know i should be able to make it i don't see any reason
2: why i wouldn't but uh go ahead and drop the plugs we'll get the hell out of here, man yeah this is uh the retarded reading of uh democracy the god that failed read retarded. uh oh, yeah. i'm tower gang toad at tower gang toad on twitter and uh i co-host the tower gang podcast uh with jose fat dave aka cole uh clint from liberty lockdown top Lobsa, and Very occasionally read Coverdale. We're on Wednesday nights, 9, 11 p.m. Live on YouTube, uh, Rumble and Odyssey. Everywhere we are Tower Gang Pod at this point, I believe. And uh, we have a Patreon. So subscribe to that and you can get some benefits. Uh, At the very least, you can ask us ridiculous questions uh, on the show through the mailbag. So patreon.com slash Tower Gang Pod. Tower Gang
1: Hell yeah. All right. And uh this is uh the, the No Way Jose show. You can follow me on Twitter if you'd like at tarragang jose. Uh you can uh, if you want to support my work, patreon.com's no way jose2020. Yeah, just remind you guys if you you know uh, this show is pretty much on dang near every platform I'm on YouTube, I'm on Odyssey, all the major odd pockets. I need to make, get around and making a rumble at some point, it's been lazy. But uh yeah, you can pretty much find me most places, so whatever is your preferred platform, I'm probably on it. Just search up No Way Jose. Uh, and, you know, like, share, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. Uh, I think I already said patreon.com. No, it a 2020. If you want to support me, with that, we are out. Boop, boop, boop. Peace.